It's the eve of new Doctor Who, and we couldn't be more ready. Titan Comics is celebrating with a virtual giveaway of $300 worth of comics. Including Paul Cornell's last... He means it this time. ...work on Doctor Who. We talk to Paul, go over the news of the week, and compare notes on what it's like to leave and return to Doctor Who fandom. Welcome to This Week in Time Travel. Let's get a shift on. Hello. Uh, It's good to be back. And we have our dear friend Rachel back in the room with us today for This Week in Time Travel. Rachel, it's been a while, but it's good to see you again. It has. Yeah, it's great to talk to you guys. We're less than a week away from the new season. Yay! And of course, because we are so close, uh, some lucky few people have already gotten to see the first episode of the new season. The press screening was held appropriately in Sheffield, which apparently a lot of journalists were not happy about making the trek up there for it. I would have been happy to make the trek. I think we would have had a little bit of a longer trek, my dear. There's an ocean in the way. Yeah, within the UK, though, it's always amusing to me the relative feel of what a trek is. Yes. I mean, the entire UK is like maybe a little bit bigger than my home state of California. So like they talk about it. I'm like, I could travel that distance and not be out of my state. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Apologies to all of our UK listeners. I do not mean to insult the size of your tiny little island or your relatively short treks that you make. Oh, my. Passive-aggressive shots fired? I'm in a punchy mood. (laughs) So some of the reviews have been coming out, and they're mostly positive. There are some tiny little wobbling little critiques in there, maybe occasionally, but by and large, it seems like everyone really, really liked this first episode. So it sounds like we've got some good stuff on the way for us. I'm super excited. Uh, Some of the reviews, and we're not going to go deep into them because we do not want to spoil you if you don't want to be spoiled. But there's been a lot of praise for the cinematography, the score by Sega Nakanola, and people love the cast, of course. Carol Midgley in The Times said that Jodie Whittaker's casting, quote, doesn't feel remotely radical. It feels normal, close quote. So that's very exciting to hear that they've made her appearance feel relatively normal, relatively just this is just another version of the Doctor that you just haven't seen yet. The other thing that seems to be coming out is along the lines of what Carol Mitchell says, you know, people are just immediately catching on to the fact that she's the Doctor and Jodie Whittaker is just so delightfully Doctorish. That's really wonderful to hear. I I cannot wait. I can't believe it's less than a week. Sorry, we have to keep saying that. (laughs) And there was a really, really fantastic photo shoot that they had with Jodie Whittaker standing alongside 12 other 13th Doctor cosplayers. And me being a little tired in the morning when I woke up and saw this went, wow, those are 13 really good cosplayers. The woman at the front really looks like Jodie Whittaker. Oh, my God, you walnut. It is Jodie Whittaker. So that was pretty exciting. (laughs) Yeah, they've been doing such an amazing job on the promotion for this. And all of the photography and artwork has just been gorgeous. And I'm just, I just feel like such a warmth from the bright colors and subversive yet not imagery and language they've been using. So I'm I'm excited to see all of this in action. It's going to be exciting. 
there's so much community that seems to be coming across in all of the promotion. I don't have it in the show notes for today's episode, but there was that great BBC America. I think it was BBC America who did it. The people recording messages to Jodie Whittaker while she's waiting off camera uh, stuff that got released oh, in the yeah. last week. Yeah, that stuff was from uh, San Diego Comic-Con, I think. Yeah. And just warmth and inviting. And I can't remember the last time the BBC and all of the networks that are showing Doctor Who made such an effort to really emphasize that so early on. As the press tour has continued, Jodie Whittaker showed up on Graham Norton with Lady Gaga, where the two of them played a theremin together. And then they showed a really, guys, it's never been seen before clip. Totally not seen before. On Graham Norton. So we won't discuss the clip because uh, we have a noted spoiler phobe on the podcast today, Rachel, who has just absolutely refused to see the clip. Nope. <laughs> uh, Didn't see it when it leaked. And I have not watched Graham Norton because uh, I- I'm very much a watch the teaser trailer, watch the first main trailer, and then nothing else until the episode airs. So, Alyssa, how can we talk about this clip without talking about this clip? Well, I think I can talk a little bit about some behind the scenes things with this clip because there was a little chatter on Twitter today that the BBC has now closed its investigation into how the clip was leaked in the first place. Now, when it was first leaked, my initial thought here on the podcast, if you go back to that episode, was that it looked like it was screener material that had been prepped and cut because this is exactly the kind of thing that you would want to be released for a promo shot. And even the title of the file suggested as much. And so they haven't released any more details about exactly how the clip was leaked and who leaked it, but the investigation is closed and they feel confident that it's not going to happen again. It will totally happen again. But that's sort of where we are with it, that they had pre-cut screener material that was ready to go out. And somehow in that process, it got leaked a little early. I do want to say one thing about the clip. I don't think you need to put your fingers in your ears for this, Rachel. Oh, my God, the doctor is so doctory. It's very fantastic. I look forward to seeing that bit in the first episode. <laughs> and I'm so glad that I got to see it now because there's absolutely no way that I ever looked at the leaked clip months ago. Definitely not. It's only a week left until we finally get to see Jodie Whittaker on our screens. The global simulcast is going to be at 6.45 p.m. in the U.K., at 1.45 p.m. on the East Coast of the United States, adjusted for time zones across the United States after that. It's going to be on BBC One, BBC America, Space, and there's also going to be a live showing with Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall at New York Comic Con. So uh, for those of you who do get to go to New York Comic Con, you get to see it with them. Maybe. If you can get into the room. Rachel, you're going to Comic Con, right? I am. How you feeling? I'm trying to mentally figure out the logistics of carrying my hockey gear. And, <laughs> oh my God. And getting to the screening and then getting to my game, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make it happen somehow, some way. Because watching it live in that room is pretty much the only way I could do it that day with my game. So I'll take Jody and Chris Chibnall as a bonus. That sounds like so much fun, and I'm going to be so jealous of you. Me too. And and, and it'll be like a fan panel where Jody Whitaker and Chris Chibnall are actually going to answer questions about Doctor Who. 
that's the best part of it, I think, that finally they can actually talk about the episode. So that's mostly why I want to be there. The secrecy shall be lifted. Now, I seem to recall that there are some scheduling concerns with New York Comic Con because Jodie Whittaker and Chris Chibnall aren't the only Who personalities that are going to be there on Sunday. Yeah, I don't think any of the other Doctor Who people are on panels that day, but there's like autograph and photo opportunity scheduled, I think, for David Tennant and Matt Smith at the very least. I'm not sure about anyone else, but... Hopefully everybody can get to where they want to when they want to, because uh, it's an amazing opportunity. It seems like Comic-Con should have, at the very least, anticipated that and scheduled them for other times. Like maybe this is the absolute only time that Tennant and Smith are available for signing. But that seems like not great scheduling. Yeah, although who knows, maybe they didn't have any of this confirmed and just wanted to have opportunities there. That's That's also true, yeah. So moving forward, Space and BBC America will show future episodes at 8 p.m. Sundays. Sorry for all of you who read Doctor Who magazine and thought it meant it was going to be simulcast throughout the season. That was definitely not the case. That was just a very awkwardly worded sentence. We are going to have to be off of Twitter for five hours or so uh, once it is premiered in the UK and before it premieres for us in the US. So simulcast for episode one, 8 p.m. Sundays from moving forward. And finally, we've got some comics news to dive into. Chip, you've been keeping up with the comics a little bit more than I've been able to. What's been going on? Well, uh, the 13th Doctor series has begun a little early, of course. It's the Zero issue. It's out. It's written by Richard Dinnick. And it's a jumbo-sized issue that basically has a flashback of every single Doctor, including the War Doctor, over the years. And you know Peter Capaldi's magnificent monologue to his future self at the end of Twice Upon a Time? Well, take that monologue and just extend it over 40-odd pages worth of comics. It's an extended monologue where the Doctor references every previous doctor there's a three to five page sequence for every single doctor there are loads of self-referential quips it's a very very quippy kind of thing but titan comics has been making a big deal about releasing comics to promote the upcoming series relying on past doctors and this sort of wraps it all up in a bow and tries to make that continuity between the william hartnell doctor all the way up to the jody whitaker doctor it's all the same doctor, and they're really, really trying to sell it. It's a nice piece, but I am tired of looking at 13th Doctor in the context of the previous ones. I'm ready for some new, brand new 13th Doctor stories, which we will finally get starting next week. Titan Comics also released a Humble Bumble, a Humble Bumble? A Humble Bundle for Doctor Who comics. Chip, have you gotten this version yet? I have. I have. The Humble Bundle is, that's a company that releases video games and books and comics on a pay-what-you-want kind of framework. They are giving you, if you buy this bundle, hundreds of dollars worth of comics, including an exclusive first Doctor comic from Paul Cornell. So I caught up with Paul and asked him about this, which is his third ever, last ever Doctor Who work. And here's Paul. Even when I had no idea 
that Twice Upon a Time, the novelization was going to come along, which, you know, I I just couldn't resist. I'd already planned to stop, but that came along and I couldn't resist it. This comic strip, which we're talking about tonight, is something I wrote four years ago. So I kind of always knew this would be the last thing. I just didn't know when it was going to happen. But I, I kind of always assumed it would happen before Twice Upon a Time did. It was originally designed to be for a um, a different classic artist. And then there was a lot of delay. And we uh, ended up with John Stokes, who is a wonderful artist. Um, he last drew Doctor Who back in the early days of Doctor Who Monthly. He drew one of Alan Moore's um, Doctor Who Monthly backup strips. He began his career as a professional comics artist while William Hartnell was still the Doctor in the early 60s. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, he's an am- got a, had an amazing life. I have mental images of reading uh, the Black Knight in Hulk comic when I was tiny. So I really wanted to work with him, and so we sent it off to him, and he's delivered this amazing piece. It's um, just five or six pages. It's in black and white, as season one intended. It's William Hartnell, Ian Barber, and Susan in the TARDIS, and it's a lovely little character piece about Ian and Barbara getting used to being with their hosts and still being a little suspicious of them, and something that heals that a little. John has drawn it in the most wonderful classic 60s style it, it you know just the look of ian chesterton looks so 1960s and the detail is just beautiful so i, I couldn't be happier with it and it's a really nice little curler cue at the end of the career but as i say i've just been i've always been saying but there's this other little thing <laughs> whenever and, anybody and now here it is now here it is and it is available to fans through the Umble Bundle, which is a delightful project that I've known about for many years. They started out providing video games at a pay-what-you-want structure with uh, charity involved. So a portion of the proceeds would go to a certain charity. Well, and now digital comics, because this is the Titan Doctor Who comics Humble Bundle which there's over $300 worth of digital comics here, including my own Four Doctors and Third Doctor. And on the highest level, that is $18, you also get this little partner strip, In Between Times, it's called, which is exclusive to the bundle. So for $18, you get about $360 worth of digital comics, including incredible work from people like uh, Cav Scott, George Mann, Sai Spurrier, Rachel Stott, many, many other friends and talented people. Certainly all of my Titan Doctor Who comics career and that of many other people, I suspect. Including a few archives from the previous runs with IDW as well. It's a huge, huge package of comic books and a portion of the proceeds go to support BBC Children in Need. Absolutely. So really, there's no reason at all not to get over there and uh, hoist them all up. It's a staggering amount of comicry there for Doctor Who fans. How does it feel to finally have performed that final grace note? <laughs> Closure. Um, yeah, it's lovely. It's the golden thread that runs through my career, and it's done. I've become increasingly happy to go back to being a Doctor Who fan and pundit. Closing the career sort of says to me, I can run back into the audience and sit down. It's made me a lot happier to be a fan. And this is a good time to change. This is a good time to stop. And so many other exciting things are happening for me right now. 
honestly, it's about time I got up off the stage and left that seat to somebody else. I see a little bit of, I don't know if it's irony, there's something delightfully cyclical about you closing your Doctor Who career with two projects that involve the first Doctor. As we close, how do you feel about the first Doctor? And is there anything about looking at early Doctor Who that looks a little differently now that you're finishing your Doctor Who career for good this time? Well, you know, Hartnell is glorious and warm. I mean, I think that's always the surprise with Hartnell, the warmth of him, the um, the love that comes off of him. And this strip is all about learning about that love. And I see little traces in Jodie Whittaker. There's that moment in the um, clip that they released on the talk show where she uh, just raises her nostrils and uh, compliments the chap who's going to be one of her new friends on his deduction. And she might as well grasp her lapels at that moment. It was a wonderful little... uh, (laughs) Anytime we see nostrils, I think of our heart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't have preview pages, so we don't know what kind of nostril angles we'll be seeing in the comic. But we do know that people who contribute at least $18 to the Titan Comics Doctor Who Humble Bundle for 2018 we'll get the last word from Paul Cornell on the first Doctor and on Doctor Who in general. Paul, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Since this interview, I have picked up the bundle and I have read Paul's comic and John Stokes' comic uh, with the first Doctor. It feels so retro in such a good way. It, It feels like it could have come out of an early issue of Doctor Who Monthly. Well done, Paul. I have ordered it myself and cannot wait. I will hopefully be able to in the next 24 to 36 hours when I have time to sit down. <laughs> That's humblebundle.com. I almost said humble bumble myself. And you've only got a few days to get the bundle. So hurry up and uh, download it for $18 or so to get Paul's comic. So when we come back, Chip is going to talk to the lapsed Doctor Who fan in his household about leaving and coming back to the Doctor Who fandom. This week on The Incomparable Network. The Incomparable performs rocket surgery on a desperately bad film, 2002's Equilibrium. Erica, Annette, and Kirsten wrap up with the season three finale of Winona Earp on Earp Chirp. And Tim and Jason contend with the reboots of Murphy Brown and Magnum P.I. The episode's called Heroin Made of Nostalgia, and the podcast is Tim Goodman's TV talk machine. All this and more at theincomparable.com. So, Rachel and Alyssa, we were all hanging out, wow, it's almost a year ago in D.C. for a big group get-together that included a group screening in that fabulous screening room at your apartment complex, Alyssa, where we were watching, uh, I think it was the second-to-last episode of the last series, and there was my wife in the corner sort of half-watching and half-crocheting. Yes, unfortunately, Chip's wife has not been super into Doctor Who the last couple of years. It's been painful! I've been suffering! Actually, no, that's not, that's not fair because, you know, people like what they like. And I had the chance to have a sit-down kitchen table conversation with Shannon, who was a big Doctor Who fan and did appear on my old podcast, Two Minute Time Lord, a couple of times. 
And she's interested in Doctor Who again after the upcoming changes were announced. And she and I had, like I said, a kitchen table conversation about what it's like to leave and then come back to the fandom. So I'm unreasonably excited about the possibility that on October 7th, you and I are actually going to be watching Doctor Who together for the first time in ages. Uh, Putting aside a moment when we were all at a group gathering and most of us were watching Doctor Who and you were sort of in the corner half watching it and half doing crochet. What can I say? I'm interested again. Well, let's talk about that. You were a fan of Doctor Who when I got into it again, when the new series came on. What caught your attention about it back then? And how did you feel about Doctor Who before that? Before 2005, all I knew was Doctor Who was a thing. Uh, I had seen it once in a while, turning the channels on the TV like we had to do in the olden days before remote controls. Uh, and I would see flashes on PBS of this really weird guy with a whole lot of teeth and a scarf that kind of weirded me out. I just basically knew it was a show that a lot of people liked. And uh, when you wanted to start watching it again, I figured, why not? And it grabbed me. What was it about it that grabbed you? What caught your attention that when you were a kid switching past PBS, it didn't take? It was the thing that tends to grab me in any sort of media I get really, really involved with, uh, character. I liked Rose from the very beginning. Uh, her sitting up and slapping the alarm off and groaning over the fact that she had to go to work and then gets drawn into this, you know, strange madcap adventure with this weird guy. And once she got a hold of me, I kept following, and as the season went on, I fell in love with more characters. Um, I loved Chris Eccleston's Doctor. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed Mickey's presence. Captain Jack was a revelation. And from there, Russell T. Davies just kept giving me all of these wonderful characters and throwing them into all kinds of interesting situations. I am very much aware that David Tennant caught your eye. And really? you and you stayed with the show all through the Russell T. Davis years. Mm -hmm. uh, you popped up on Two Minute Time Lord a couple of times to provide commentary. You were you were invested, and then Stephen Moffat takes over and Matt Smith takes over, and you watched along with me for the first season and a half of that, and then the aliens came. <laughs> Well, for one thing, Moffat was never one of my favorite writers during the Davies era. I loved The Empty Child and The Doctor Dances. That landed for me, whether that was a combination of, you know, the introduction of Captain Jack into the mix and Everybody Lives, whatever it was, that was a good one. His other ones, The Girl in the Fireplace, Blink, Silence in the Library, uh, I can respect Moffat's ability to spin a really intricate plot, but unless I care about the characters too, I'm not as invested. And I did not remember caring about Madame de Pompadour. I did not remember caring about Sally Sparrow. I did not remember caring a lot about, a little bit with River Song when she was introduced, maybe. But those stories were always about 
squaring circles, making the impossible twist around. And again, you know, it, it's brilliant technical writing, but it, it didn't grab my heart. And then what happened? I like Matt Smith very much. I like Karen Gillan. You know, I, I like, you know, the, the people, the actors. And at first, introducing the characters, world building was grabbing my attention. But as we kept going, my favorite episodes of the season and a half that I watched were episodes that were not written by Moffat. Toby Whithouse's Vampires in Venice, Vincent and the Doctor by Richard Curtis. Those are the stories that I loved and wanted to watch again. They weren't Moffat's. And then we get into the second season, and I just got to a point when they have the big reveal that, you know, Amy's had this baby, and they've rescued the baby, and she's holding her baby, and all of a sudden her baby falls apart in the flesh. Uh, it was a ganger. The ganger, thank you. Uh, the ganger thing that had been introduced earlier. You know me. I am the most sentimental of saps. Especially when it comes to motherhood. I cry at the drop of a hat. Motherhood doubles it. And that happened to Amy, and I'm just sort of sitting there going like, well, damn. The fact that I didn't care anymore finally solidified for me. And for me, that was a signal that, you know, if I'm not caring about the show, I should step away. And that, you know, that kind of hurt at the time because Doctor Who was a thing that we shared and uh, it was appointment viewing for us both. And I was still, you know, I will agree with you that I am more a Russell T. Davis fanboy than a Stephen Moffat fanboy, but I still found much to enjoy in the Moffat years for sure. So it kind of, it, it was kind of painful going through uh, stuff that, uh, you know, there was some fascinating stuff that was happening and characters that I was really into, like Clara Oswald, and I just couldn't share them with you. Although I, you did cosplay as Car Clara at one galley. Well, I tried. I, I tried with the, whatever the Christmas episode was that introduced Victoria and Clara, because Jenna Coleman was a delight. You know, again, the actress pulled me in. This was an interesting potential character. And then... We found out, like, either at the end of that episode or the beginning of the next episode that, oh, no, this is just another really intricate puzzle for Moffat to solve. And so I was like, uh, really? <laughs> and then you noped out again. Yeah. Um, why, I, you do, why you do that? Why you do that? Why you leave me hanging like that? <laughs> As you well remember, I learned the hard way. My first big online fandom experience was Harry Potter getting involved with other fans, tearing everything apart, character and plot and world building and the fanfic and the fan art and the shipping, all of everything. Harry Potter was my first experience. And I was fine until the sixth book happened. And especially an interview Rowling gave to a couple of journalists that made it clear that she was going in a direction that I didn't agree with. And it hurt hugely. And... I let myself throw the biggest two-year-old temper tantrum over it at the time. But I learned from that. That's not the way to react, to, to interact with one's media. If you don't like it, you step away. I never read the seventh book. I never watched any more movies. I just went back to writing my fanfic and hanging out with my friends that agreed with me and still enjoying the things I loved about Harry Potter. So from learning from that helped me to learn when to step away from Doctor Who rather than stay super invested in it and turn it into Hate Watch because Hate Watch is a waste of time. I am a Doctor Who fan. 
over the 55 years. Samir is more than other, but I classify myself as a Doctor Who fan. And Doctor Who fans have a lot of arguments over which eras are best, which ones they don't like, or whatever like that. But you picked a time to get in, mm-hmm. and you picked a time to get out. Mm-hmm. And that does strike me as a lot healthier than participating in something that you just don't enjoy. Right. So is it fair to say that you're not so much a Doctor Who fan as a Russell T. Davis Doctor Who fan? Um, well, I would say that that's true at the moment. Ask me again next week. Right. Well, you want to watch Jodie Whittaker again. Uh, now, what's, what's up? Now, to be fair, the first thing that caught my attention was Chris Chibnall. Chris Chibnall as the new showrunner. As Moffat said, he was leaving and the things started uh, happening and people were talking and names were being thrown around. And when Chibnall's name came up, I perked up because I thoroughly enjoyed most of Torchwood. And Chibnall was heavily involved in Torchwood. And the the feel of, to quote Lynn Thomas uh, from Verity Podcast, the camp noir of it, really hooked me for most of those seasons. Although I'm still, again, choosing my battles. I will never, ever, ever watch Children of Earth. Not because you think it's going to be bad, but... But I can't handle child endangerment. Uh, For 99% of the time, I can't take it. The exception being Broadchurch, but then, you know, the child endangerment happened before the plot started. And that was another thing, Torchwood and Broadchurch. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed the season one of Broadchurch. I need to catch up with season two. That, again, in both of those cases, character. Character was driving so much of the story. Uh, Yes, Broadchurch had a brilliant mystery going on as well, but it wouldn't have been half as interesting if the characters hadn't been so compelling. Um, So I trust Chris Chibnall. Of course, I'm going to come back and see what he's about to do. And then he cast Jodie Whittaker, who was one of the most brilliant things about Broadchurch. And everything that I've seen of social media and con appearances and all of the marketing, it just feels like she's going to be absolutely brilliant in this role. And I am incredibly looking forward to that. And then they keep adding like these other companions that are going to be there with her. They're they're friends. They're friends. Okay, they're friends now. All right, working on it. Um, (laughs) You know, they look interesting. The actors look compelling. It all feels like it's going to be a delightful ride. So does it feel like the thing that you liked before is coming back, or are you fascinated by the prospect of something new? I think it's a bit of both. Uh, The clip that Graham Norton aired feels awfully Russell T. Davish, Davies-ish to me, in a way. We could call it Davish. (laughs) <laughs> the banter there feels very much like something that he would have done. And yet, you know, we have these new characters. We don't know which way Jody Whitaker's character is going to go next. We don't know which way Chibnall's going to write it next. Again, it was, you know, Chibnall first. I would have also been on board if he'd cast a male actor of color. That's the other thing I was thinking might happen because, you know, for the last two or three recasts, you and I both have been like, you know, come on, Patterson Joseph, you know, some somebody, you know, hire somebody with color and, you know, push the doctor in a different direction. It just happened that Chibnall chose to go with gender and I'm thrilled by it. So we're less than a week away from it. And uh, like I said, I'm thrilled to be actually watching Doctor Who side by side with you again. Is it tough being a casual fan of something when there's a super fan in the household? Darling, you've lived with me for 20-odd years. You can answer that. 
you are wearing a Voltron t-shirt across the table from me. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it can be, but that was one of the reasons, I think that's one of the reasons that I, you know, tried to make myself stand away so clearly because I want to do my best not to rain on your parade. Just because I didn't enjoy the show the way you did it anymore, I know it came out once in a while, here and there, that I would say a few things. I was in absolute disbelief that you wouldn't watch the 50th anniversary special with Tennant and Piper in it. It wasn't The Doctor and Rose. Spoilers for a five-year-old episode. <laughs> it, it wasn't my characters. It, it was the actors, but it wasn't my characters. So I wasn't interested. Well, I'm thrilled that we will be watching it again, and I hope it takes this time. I'm feeling pretty good about it. Chip, that was a, a really cool conversation that you had there with Shannon. It's uh, definitely food for thought, especially because I've been re-watching the Moffat era and have changed my mind about a lot of things about it, some to what Shannon was saying and some that's the opposite of what Shannon was saying. But uh, yeah, a, a lot of, of interesting perspectives there. And I really hope that you guys get to watch Doctor Who together again. Well, at least we'll be watching the first one together. That's definite. What are some of the changes that you've seen in your Moffat perspective? I put Matt Smith up at number two for me in terms of modern doctors right under Eccleston. And in my initial watch, I loved season eight and didn't like season nine. And now I really hated season eight and love season nine. Well, I'm not sure that I can handle somebody else preferring other doctors over David Tennant, but I guess I'll just have to. Accept it. <laughs> it surprised me more than anyone. I'll tell you that. People like what they like. So said you. I know. I'm working on it. I'm working on I'm actually working <laughs> on practicing what I preach here. <laughs> so that's it for us on This Week in Time Travel. Thank you all for joining us again. And we will see you next week with Jody Whitaker's first episode ever. Uh, until then, you can find us online at thisweekintimetravel.com. We're on Twitter at drwhothisweek. Chip is on Twitter at numeral2minutetimelord. I'm on Twitter and Tumblr at whothianfeminism. Rachel is on Twitter at rmiriam. And Shannon is on Twitter at starfury10. And you can find this podcast on Facebook, too. Thanks to Christopher Breen for our original theme music, to David Lore for our podcast artwork, and please review us on Apple Podcasts, consider becoming a member of the Incomparable Network, and tell all your friends about us. Rachel, thanks for joining us this time. Always a pleasure. And we'll see you next week on This Week in Time Travel. I'm very much a watch the teaser trailer, watch the first main trailer, and then nothing else until the episode airs. One second, guys. The cat's playing with the loud toy. Jen, no. Go away. Podcats. Okay, before we go to This Week in the Incomparable... The cat has refused to stop playing and has now tied herself up in her string toy and she's wandering around crawling on her belly because she can't get out of it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Excuse me, I have to go get catch my cat before she kills herself. <laughs>